This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good morning, GYC. I didn't hear that. Good morning, GYC. This is... (laughs) I have great friends. I am so excited to be here with you this morning. I am so nervous to be here this morning, Um, but I know that God will speak to us. My first GYC was in 2009. It was in Louisville, Kentucky, and the theme was Unashamed. I was 13 years old, and I was just excited to be taking a trip without my parents. And so, Naturally, I don't remember much about the conference. I know that I was fascinated by how many young people were passionate about God. I was, pa- I, was, I was fascinated by how many young people had opinions about their local church and a passion for the gospel and a personal commitment to the gospel. One day I remember taking a nap. I took many naps at GYC. And so I took a nap and I woke up too late for the seminars. So I was walking through the halls, trying to find something to do, and I see a group of people just sitting on the ground, and they're talking, and they're praying, and I'm like, they're just so weird. And so I stood around watching them, and it got awkward, so they invited me into the circle, and I joined them, and I'm like, wait, they're so cool. And so I continued through the weekend, nothing life-changing, until Saturday night. Saturday night, I remember sitting in the conference, and David Ashick was preaching. I don't know if any of you remember that, but he was preaching a sermon called Unashamed of the Crucified Christ. And as I sat there, I realized for the first time that God had this incredible love for me. And I was like, you know what? I don't know that much about him. I don't know that much about the Bible. But I do know that a God who loves me this much is a God to be followed. And so that night I gave my life to Christ and I was so inspired. A fire burned within me. I didn't listen to the whole sermon. At the time I wasn't capable of listening to entire sermons. But I heard enough to start a revolution in my life. And so going home that, that, um, the next day, I had come to GYC with my sister and her husband, and I told them, guys, we have to switch seats because I need to sit with a stranger. I have things to tell that, to that stranger. And so we switched seats, and I plagiarized David Ashrick's entire sermon. I was like, unashamed of the crucified Christ, I want to call you today to give your life to Christ. Go home, find an Adventist church, sign up, and get baptized. The woman was so gracious, she accepted I was so on fire for God. But unfortunately, like many fires, mine began to extinguish. Our theme text today is Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3. And I think that it's such a beautiful text, and we've focused on it in very many different lenses. But today, I want to focus on this text through the individual and the cross. The what? I didn't hear that. I want to focus on the verse through the individual and the cross. You and God. The word arise means to get up or stand up, to come up higher than your current position or condition. 
And shine literally means to give out a bright light. So you put that together and you have a call to stand up and give out a bright light. You see, the call to arise and shine implies a current state of laying down and not shining, or in other terms, a state of complacency, inactivity, and darkness. Arise and shine. Let us pray. Father, you know that I have nothing to say. As I stand here and I read your word and I read the call to arise, Father, I myself find myself inadequate. And so, Lord, I pray that you will do a miracle this morning. I pray that you will do for me what I cannot do for myself. I pray that you will speak to each and every heart that is here this morning. And, Father, that we may see a clearer picture of who you are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Arise and shine. As I was preparing for this, I wondered, okay, so arise implies that at some point in time we fell. And so I began to search the scripture until I found the fall of men. And it's in Genesis chapter 3. The fall of men. Genesis chapter 3. We know the story, but we'll still look over it. Genesis chapter 3. And it starts in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve are in the garden. And we know that God gave them every fruit of the, of the garden to eat, right? But he gave them a specific instruction. And so in Genesis chapter 3, he says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? It's so interesting how the devil works. He misquotes God. He misrepresents God. And often, many of us do not know the word of God, and so we are fooled. So he says, is it true? The woman says, verse 2, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it, or you will die. And so here we find that the serpent approaches Eve with a question, a trick question. He says, is it true that you must not eat of any fruit? And Eve knows the truth, and she corrects the serpent, but we know how the story goes. Even the truth, if it's not applied in our lives, cannot save us. And so she eats of the fruit, and she shares it with Adam, so generous. And Adam and Eve fall. And the Bible tells us that they fall, and when you skip to verse 7, it says... Then the eyes of them both were open, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves for themselves, and made, they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So the eyes of them were open, and they realized they were naked. I don't know if you've ever fallen, but there's a realization that hits you. And you realize for the first time your condition, you realize how naked, how wretched you are, and your eyes are opened. It's not a good day. It's not a good feeling. I've been there. So what do our first parents do? The Bible says they sew together fig leaves and make coverings. Ellen G. White commenting on the garment says, and I want you to pay very close attention. Adam and Eve both ate of the fruit and obtained a knowledge which had they obeyed God, 
they would have never had. An experience in disobedience and disloyalty to God, the knowledge that they were naked. The garment of innocence, a covering from God, which surrounded them, departed, and they supplied the place of this heavenly garment by sewing together fig leaves for aprons. This is the covering that the transgressors of the law have used since the days of Adam and Eve's disobedience. They have sewed together fig leaves to cover their nakedness caused by transgression. The fig leaves represent arguments used to cover disobedience. When the Lord calls the attention of men and women to the truth, the making of fig leaves into aprons will be begun to hide the nakedness of the soul. But the nakedness of the sinner is not covered. All the arguments pieced together by all who have interested themselves in this flimsy work will come to naught. You see, friends, fig leaves will not cover your sin. All the arguments pieced together will come to nothing. All the attempts to disobey God will not result in peace. So Adam and Eve lose their robes of light. They realize their nakedness. And for the first time, they encounter the darkness that is a natural consequence of sin. Verse 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now as I was reading this, I thought, growing up, in an African home, there's something scary about a father. My dad is a great man, but every time he came home, we naturally just went to hide because we're like, you know what? We might have done something wrong today, and so we would hide. And so Adam and Eve, they knew they had done something wrong, and they hear the voice of God, they hear a sound, and they go and they hide. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I love God's approach in verse 9. God looks at them. And you know, when God came to the garden, he knew full well what Adam and Eve had done. He knew exactly where they were hiding. But he looks at them and he says, where are you? You see, friends, I believe that today God looks at your darkness. He looks at your nakedness. He sees you hiding, and he asks you, where are you? And they replied, we heard your voice, and we hid. How many of us this weekend have been hearing the voice of God appeal after appeal, and you know that God is tugging at your heart? But instead, you hide. We heard your voice, and we hid. Verse 15, and this is where I want us to focus today. I thank Shauna for her introduction and for reading the scripture. Verse 15 says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. So here we find that God asks, where are you? And they explain to him their pitiful condition. And he now outlines his plan. And verse 15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between you and her offspring. Here we find the plan of salvation outlined. 
God looks at our pitiful condition. He looks at our fig leaf apron coverings. And he says, I. That's so interesting, friends, and I don't want us to miss this. God looks at our condition, and he says that the only solution to our condition is found through him. He says, I will put an enmity between you and the serpent because God recognizes that in and of ourselves, we can never hate the devil. In and of ourselves, we can never overcome sin. In and of ourselves, we are doomed. And he says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent. God says, I, and I believe that as he looks at your darkness, as he looks at your nakedness, as he looks at your pitiful condition this morning, God says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent. The focus, the solution has always been in God, never in human attempt. God says, I will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I will restore you to the glory that you just lost because I am your God. Ellen G. White says, as soon I don't want us to miss this. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Did you hear that, friends? As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Our sin did not cause heaven to fumble. Our sin did not bring the angels and God together like, oh my goodness, what do we do now? As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. Christ knew that he would have to suffer, yet he became man's substitute. As soon as Adam sinned, the Son of God presented himself as a surety for the human race, with just as much power to avert the doom pronounced upon the guilty as when he died upon Calvary. Doom pronounced upon the guilty. Who are the guilty? The guilty are you and I. Friends, in any battle against sin, unless Jesus is our only focus, unless Jesus is our solution, we will not overcome. He is our substitute. So in every youth ministry, unless Jesus is the focus, it will fail. In every Bible study, unless Jesus is the focus, it will fail. In every GYC convention, in every mission trip, unless Jesus is the focus, it will fail. Christ is our only foundation. His love is our only hope. It is a hard day when you realize that no love here on earth is guaranteed. It is a dark reality when you realize that those who should be entrusted to love and protect you will fail you. Yet we have one sure foundation, a God that loved you in your sin and loves you too much to keep you in your darkness. I remember my own darkness when I too, like our first parents, drifted from God. I became so discouraged by the world. But unfortunately, as I looked to the church for comfort, I found a darkness there too. I allowed people to determine my view of God. I allowed people to to distort my perception and ultimately kill my faith. And soon I deemed Adventism a healthy culture, a tradition rather than a church ordained by God himself. 
I share this not because it is easy, but because I know that some here are relating. I know that some here realized long time ago that the world was a dark place, but what they did not expect was for the church to be just as dark. I encourage you, however, to hang in there. You see, I realize it makes sense that the devil would attack the church. You see, oftentimes the devil, more than we ourselves, realize the importance and the value of the church. So it makes sense that he would have his representatives there. It was Gandhi who said, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. Unfortunately, oftentimes, as Christians, we are a source of darkness for so many. So mankind falls, and God sends Jesus to restore humanity to its glory. And Jesus walks among us. He lives a life of no sin. I think sometimes we forget that Jesus really took on human nature. I don't think we understand that. He took on human nature and lived a life with no sin for you and for me. He dedicated his life to relieving the suffering of humanity and revealing the character and glory of God to mankind. And he did so faithfully, even to the point of death. John 17 tells us of Jesus praying before he died. Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 17. And it says, after this, Jesus said, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to those you have given him. Pay attention. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had before the world began. So we find here that Jesus prays and the word glory is mentioned so many times. You see, friends, when I was reading the Bible commentary, it said Christ is not praying for the manifestation of the glory of human nature. He's not praying for the manifestation, the glory of human nature. He is praying to his Father in regard to a glory possessed in his oneness with God. You see, friends, Jesus was always glorified in heaven. He was glorified with the glory which he had with his Father before the world was. But amid his glory, Christ did not lose sight of his toiling, struggling ones on earth. So we find that Christ looks upon our darkness, the struggle of this world, and he humbles himself and he comes to earth as a man to live and die 
that he may remove the veil that hinders us from being one with God. So let's recap. First, we have Adam and Eve, and they fall. They realize their nakedness. They realize the darkness that will now mark their existence here on earth. And then you have Jesus. As soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. And so he lives a perfect life that he might restore to humanity the glory that was lost with sin. That he may restore the oneness that humanity once had with God. And now we revisit our theme text. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 to 3, and it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord, but the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. I want to pause there. Arise, shine, for your light has come. There's a few things I want us to focus on. The first thing is the call to arise and shine occurs because your light has come. It occurs because the glory of the Lord rises upon you and occurs in the present. It doesn't say arise, shine, for your light will come. It says, for it has come. This is a present message. Then, the Bible recognizes the darkness. It says there will be darkness in the world and thick darkness on the people. And this is the darkness that necessitates the light. And the last thing I love about this verse is that it's so personal. It's a personal call to rise and shine. See, often I think as GYC, we read this verse as if the darkness is out there. Oh yes, it is dark out there. But I've learned that darkness is often part of the human experience, regardless of who you are. You see, since sin entered our world, darkness has been consistent. It was a consequence of sin. I've traveled all over the world speaking. And one thing I love is talking to people afterwards. And you hear their stories. And I'm always so stunned at how many tragedies one person can, can experience. I've talked to so many people, and they tell me one thing that happened in childhood, and then something else happened, and then something happened. It's like, bam, 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 all bad. And I sit there, and I'm like, how dark can it get? But moreover, I think of God looking at us and seeing the intention he had for us when he made us and how far we've come from that. How dark can it get? And so God looks at you, he looks at me, and calls us to arise and shine despite this darkness. Why? Because his glory is risen upon you. Because his righteousness covers you. Because he does for you what you cannot do for yourself. Because he already gave himself as a light, as a hope for our incredible darkness. 
I remember getting to a point in my Adventist journey where all I could focus on was my darkness. I was so consumed by it. And then week after week, I'd go to church, and there was a darkness too. And I just simply lost hope. I began to resent Adventism. I looked at the Bible as an old book. And I want to be honest with you. This is a struggle that you can go through while still going through all the motions. It's a struggle that you can go through while still looking very, very Adventist. It's a struggle that I believe many seated here are going through. Oftentimes, we leave GYC so excited. We're going to go and change our local churches. We're going to go and make a difference. And then we meet with opposition. And by March, we ourselves are out of the church. But I love the verse because it says, Darkness covers the earth. Great darkness covers the people. But the next word is, but God. I love a sermon that was preached at GYC last year by Sebastian that said, Don't doubt in darkness what God has revealed to you in the light. Friends, recall why you joined Adventism in the first place. It wasn't because of the people. It was because we heard a message that was so unique. We saw a love of God that was so propelling. When we got baptized, we weren't committing to Adventist church members. We were committing to God. And so, yes, at times it doesn't make sense when you look all around you. And church is dark. But don't down in the darkness what God has revealed to you in the light. I still believe that this is God's ordained church. I still believe that God's hand is moving in this church. In fact, I myself, as an executive here in GYC, will be open with you and say my goal for 2018 is to go and study once again why I fell in love with Adventism. To go and study once again how Adventism applies to my personal life. To go and find the light that I fell in love with so long ago. Oftentimes we say, It doesn't make sense to keep going to church when, you know, it's so discouraging. You know what doesn't make sense? What doesn't make sense is that Jesus left heaven and earth for you and I. What doesn't make sense is that he died to save us. And look how many of us refuse him day after day. When you look at the death of God from a human perspective, from a business perspective, it was a fail. Not even one out of two will accept his death. That's what doesn't make sense. But friends, if the church gets dark and we all leave, who will light it up? The verse says, darkness covers the earth. Great darkness, the people, but God. You see, from the beginning, the focus should have been God. See, friends, we arise, we shine, because God arose and shone. We overcome only through God. 
He left heaven for us. He lived a life of complete oneness with God. He was a light and he revealed the glory of God to humanity to remind us that we too can be one with God. Friends, this morning, too many of us are going through the motions. Too many of us stopped fighting a long time ago. We sat down, we gave up, we stopped shining. And we've been sitting in complete darkness. And that's the thing about darkness. It too can become comfortable. Someone here today is consumed by their darkness, overwhelmed by their darkness. Someone here is hiding from God. Someone here is chilling in their fig leaf covering. But today God asks, where are you? You see, friends, the darker it gets, the more we should cling to Christ. The more we see our helplessness with sin, the faster we should run to him. The glory of the Lord rises upon you. Lastly, I love that this verse addresses the individual. Constantly, you, you, you. You see, I'm tired of our lack of personal ownership when it comes to our walk with God. I'm tired of our lack of ownership when it comes to Adventism. When I ask, was the world better for Adventists having existed? I don't ask us to quote address statistics. I don't ask us to quote what Pathways to Health did. I don't want to know about the results of GYC outreach. I want to know, was your world better because you were an Adventist? Was your home better because you were an Adventist? Was your campus better because you were an Adventist? Was your local church better because you were an Adventist? The individual and the cross. Don't tell me what Adra did. The call is a personal call. You and the cross. Arise. Shine. Why? Because as soon as there was sin, there was a Savior. I recently started a placement on a psychiatric facility. And I'm a nursing student, so my scope of practice is very limited. And so I had so many patients, and I fell in love with my patients. I I broke every ethical protocol of patient, you know, client privilege, or no, 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 nurse-patient therapeutic relationship. I broke everything. And so I fell in love with my patients. We, we disclosed too much. And I remember just hearing their stories, darkness after darkness. And it's actually something that we write in our charts, you know, the patient is dark. And we don't mean their complexion. We mean they're literally just dark. Their worldview, their perspective, everything is just dark. It's doom. And so one specific patient I had had been struggling with depression for a very long time. And every day I would talk to him and he would tell me how just dark everything was and how he longed to be happy again. And so we talked and we talked and we talked. And finally, my clinical instructor said, tomorrow, Chantal, 
you'll be giving meds. I was so excited because in, in, in the psychiatric facility, most meds are injections, and they're IM injections, so intramuscular. And this was a skill that I had never tried before. And so the night before I was supposed to give the med, I went and I researched everything I could about the medication, what it does, you know, um, all the complications, the side effects, the adverse effects, what you monitor for, everything. I was a pro at this medication. And so I began to look at the pharmacokinetics, and that's basically how the, how the drug interacts in the body and the implications. And as I was reading, I was like, my goodness, tomorrow when I give this injection, my patient will be changed forever. His depression will be cured. I was so excited. I was like, wow, heroes and scrubs, love it. But as I continued to read to the bottom of the page, there was one line that broke my heart. A line said, this medication is not curative. And it dawned on me, my patient would live in their darkness forever. Yes, the injection was thousands of dollars. Yes, it had so many things that it could do. But my patient would live in darkness forever because the medication's not curative. Friends, it broke my heart as I realized that darkness really is part of our experience here on earth. And I understood for the first time how God feels when he looks at humanity and he looks at the intention he had for us. And he looks at the darkness that marks our experience here on earth. And he looks at all of our attempts, the way we rely on ourselves. But he knows at the bottom of the page of all of our attempts, this medication is not curative. Friends, there is only one thing that can cure our darkness. There's only one remedy, and it's so simple. It's been there since the beginning. But yet, I don't know, we're just so stubborn. We insist on finding every other method. The only permanent solution to our darkness, the only hope for our nakedness, was outlined in Genesis chapter 3. I will put enmity. Arise and shine. Darkness covers the earth, great darkness, the people, but God. You see, friends, the darker it gets, the faster we need to be turning to God. When you think of arising and shining, you know, it sounds great at UIC, but then you get home and you realize what it actually implies in your daily life, and it gets discouraging sometimes. But every, every time I think of a call outlined in the Bible, I remind myself of the character of God, the character of the God that calls us to rise and shine. 
There is a song that says, The love of God is greater far. I know many of you know it. Than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child, he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. It goes on to say, Could we with ink the oceans fill, and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Friends, that's the God that calls us to arise and shine. That's the love that calls us to arise and shine. That's the God that looks at your darkness and he says, arise and shine because the glory of the Lord rises upon you. God longs to restore us to our glory. Friends, what type of love is this? How can we remain inactive? How can we remain in our darkness with such a love? You see, I think so many times we try to strategize and we beg people to go and evangelize. But friends, once you experience the love of God, have you ever seen someone in love? You don't have to beg them to tell you about their boyfriend. They're telling you everything. You're eating salad. Oh, that's my boyfriend's favorite salad. How does it relate? You don't know, but they're just so in love. You don't have to beg them. But yet, we beg year after year begging GYC attendees, please go home and just reach one. Please. And I ask myself, are we in love with God? Because if we were, if we were experiencing God, you know, when God shines in your life, when you experience the way he takes you out of your darkness, it's the natural response to rise and shine. We shouldn't have to beg Adventists to be Adventists. Arise. And shine. There's another aspect to this. The reason why God calls you specifically to arise and shine is because there's one thing God cannot do, and that is create another you. You see, when you arise and shine, you reveal a part of God that no one else could ever reveal. You reveal his glory in such a light that no one else could ever reveal. You see, if God is a puzzle, we all bring a piece of that puzzle. And so when you and I neglect our part, God's puzzle remains incomplete. That's why he calls you, not Adventism to arise and shine, not GYC, you specifically in your seat to arise and shine. Because you reveal an angle of God that I could never reveal. 
you reveal a perspective. Your testimony, your praise is unique and God longs to hear your praise. That's why he would have come even if it was just for one. I'm running out of time. And so I'll make my appeal. It's a very specific appeal. The call to rise and shine starts with each of us. See, I know that there's someone seated here today and you've been hiding from God. You've made your fig leaf covering and maybe you're comfortable in your darkness. Maybe you've come to terms with your darkness. And maybe your intention was to go home and remain the same. But God, but God calls you today. And you're saying for the first time, you know what? I'll try this thing out. I want to experience what God can do in my darkness. I want to experience the plan of salvation when he says, I will put enmity between you and the serpent. And you're saying, God, look at my darkness. God says, let there be light. And you want to experience that for yourself. You want to go home and say, in 2018, Lord, I want to experience your light. I'm not asking you to go and evangelize. I'm not asking you to do anything. Just to experience how God can change your darkness. Because I know the natural outworking of that will be that you will shine for others. If you're saying, Lord, change my darkness. I want to experience that. If that is your desire this morning, I invite you to come forward. Saying, Lord, I want to see how you can shine in my darkness. I want to see you do for me what I cannot do for myself. I want to see your glory revealed to me. If that is your desire this morning, come forward. The second appeal is even more specific. And this is to someone that's saying, Chantal, just like you, I deemed Adventism a culture. I deemed Adventism a thing of the past. I forgot that this was a church ordained by God himself. I forgot why I came in the first place. I lost my first love. And you're saying, Chantal, just like you, I want to go home and discover why I fell in love with Adventism in 2018. If that is your desire this morning, I invite you to come forward. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.